Well, thank you for checking out this verse-by-verse Bible study. I'm your host, Randy Duncan, and we are making our way through the book of Genesis. In this episode, we're going to pick up where we left off in chapter 27. In the last episode, we covered the first 17 verses, and we saw Rebecca and Jacob begin to carry out their plan to deceive Isaac and receive the blessing that he intended for Esau. And we left off with Rebecca preparing the meal, outfitting Jacob in Esau's clothing, and sending him in to see his father Isaac, which is where we now pick up the action. And so verses 18 through 25 read, So he went in to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. And then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to, to know whether you're really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. And he said, Are you really my son Esau? And he answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it near to me, that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. And so Jacob does as his mother Rebekah has instructed him. You sort of get the feeling that he's still a little hesitant and shaky because all he manages to get out when he enters the room is a single word, Father. Now when we get to verse 31, you can compare that to Esau who says much more than a single word, so maybe Jacob is keeping his words at a minimum in an effort to decrease the chances that Isaac will catch on. Isaac then asks Jacob, Who are you, my son? And Jacob responds, I am Esau, your firstborn. So a couple of things here. First, why is Isaac even asking? I mean, is he truly having difficulty seeing and hearing to the extent that he actually doesn't recognize his own son? Remember, We're told that Isaac is now blind, so perhaps he wanted to hear more of the voice. In other words, Isaac here is doing his due diligence to verify who he is interacting with. In fact, some modern commentators, as well as some commentators dating all the way back to the medieval era, have suggested that at some level, Isaac was aware, at least subconsciously, that this was Jacob all along and that he only pretended to be deceived. In their view, even though Isaac preferred Esau, he knew on some level that Esau would not be the one to carry on God's promise to Abraham. But Isaac continues and appears surprised that Esau was able to so quickly go out, hunt the game, kill it, and then bring it back and prepare the meal. And so he asked Jacob, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And notice how Jacob responds. Because the Lord your God granted me success. So Jacob has now added a bit of blasphemy to his lie. Jacob is now invoking God in an outright lie. And although God has foretold that Jacob would be the inheritor of the blessing, there's little doubt that this was not the manner by which it would take place. And as I mentioned in the last episode, God doesn't need us to act immorally in order for him to carry out his plans. But that's exactly what Jacob and Rebekah are doing here. And again, it takes a lot of chutzpah 
to invoke God's name into your lie and then give God credit for something that was strictly of your own doing. I would honestly be worried about the ramifications of testing God in that manner and bringing God's name into a plan of deception. In Matthew 4, 7, Jesus told us, It is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test, which is a reference to Deuteronomy 6, 16. And I can think of no more obvious way to test God than to give him credit for the success of your lie. Now, to be fair to Jacob, it's worth noting that some think Jacob was simply obeying his mother, whom he trusted and loved, and that he may have had little reason to think that what he was doing was wrong, since he already knew he was the one who now held the birthright which Esau sold to him. And so he may not have believed that he was violating God's will at all. But after hearing his voice, Isaac tells Jacob, Please come near, that I may feel you, my son, to, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. Interesting. Isaac had already asked him who he was, and he responded, I am your son Esau. But now, Isaac wants to reach out and touch him. Why? Did he suspect something? Was he just making sure by implementing a second layer of detection? Or, as some believe, did he suspect that it was truly Jacob all along? And what does Isaac say next? The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. This is actually one of the most famous lines in the Bible, believe it or not. Writers and speakers have picked up on and used this phrase to describe confusion and deception for thousands of years now. Verses 26 through 29 read, Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. So Isaac tells Jacob to come near him and kiss him. Now, this act may have just simply been part of the ritual. If so, then it sort of has the feel of a traitor's kiss, similar in a way to the kiss that Judas betrayed Jesus with. Or it may have simply been a way for Isaac to get Jacob close enough so that he could smell him, to smell the clothes and see if they were indeed the clothes of Esau. And in fact, Isaac actually comments on the smell of the clothes, that they were the smell of the fields, the outdoors. Now Jacob was a shepherd. He tended to the flocks and to the herds, and the clothes of the shepherds reeked of the flock and the herd. But on the other hand, Esau was a hunter, and his clothes smelled like the odor of the fields, which Isaac preferred. This would have now been Isaac's fourth test to make sure that this was really Esau. Isaac is using the last of his functioning senses, the sense of smell, to make sure that this is really Esau. And here, we also see how cunning Rebekah was. I mean, after all, why would she have had Jacob put on Esau's clothes if Isaac couldn't see him? He couldn't see the clothes that he was wearing. Because Rebekah knew Isaac would rely on his other senses. So she has anticipated this from the beginning. So Jacob inherits Abraham's blessing and destiny. And I mentioned in an earlier episode, but it's worth repeating here, 
that the Bible sometimes goes against what were the traditional beliefs and practices at the time. It was customary that the firstborn son was the inheritor of the family. The kingship was conferred to the firstborn. But the Bible doesn't always follow script in that regard. So for example here, we see Jacob selected over Esau. We also saw Isaac selected over Ishmael. And soon, we'll see Joseph selected over his older brothers, and Moses over his older brother Aaron, and then finally, King David will be selected over all his older brothers. The Bible demonstrates that it's more concerned with merit over birth order, with honor and ability over tradition. Verses 30-36 through read, As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, Esau his brother came in from hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? And he answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. And so here's where things begin to get really interesting. As soon as Jacob leaves Isaac, here comes Esau with the delicious food, the game that he has gone out and hunted and then prepared, just the way Isaac loved. And he says to Isaac, rise up and eat, that you may bless me. And notice what Isaac says to Esau after Esau tells him, let my father arise and eat of his son's game. Isaac doesn't say, well, hello, my son. Come on in. I appreciate it. But your, your brother's already cooked for me and I'm still full, but look, I'll eat it later. No. He asks, who are you? He asked this because he was confused. He couldn't imagine being deceived by his own son. And when Esau replies that I am Esau, your firstborn son, Isaac realizes what has happened, and the text tells us that he begins to tremble violently. It doesn't tell us why he is trembling exactly, perhaps at the prospect of having to face Esau after making such a terrible mistake, or maybe he was just so upset, angry at himself, or maybe even Jacob. Or maybe Isaac has just realized that he has opposed God's will all these years concerning Jacob, and he's now being hit with the reality. And reality hits hardest on those who try and deny it. But either way, Isaac asked, So who was it that hunted the game and, and brought it to me and I ate it and I blessed him? And yes, he shall be blessed. But when Isaac says this last part, yes, he shall be blessed, what he's saying is that the blessing he gave could not be undone. In the ancient world, blessings were deemed to be irrevocable. And although Isaac had the wrong son in view here, still, he brought about and helped to accomplish what God had planned, even if he did so inadvertently. This divine blessing was just as irrevocable as a vow made to God. In other words, Isaac realizes that despite the circumstances, 
the blessings he gave were irreversible. And so how does Esau react? This tough man, this man of the outdoors, the hunter, cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. Esau is now reaping the consequences of selling and despising his birthright. But he knows the blessings cannot be rescinded, so all he can do is cry out for Isaac to bless him too. Now Isaac tells Esau that your brother came deceitfully and he has taken away your blessing, to which Esau says, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Esau rhetorically asked, is he not rightfully named Jacob? He says this because he sort of reinterprets Jacob's name as deriving from a Hebrew word stem that means supplanter. And in a particular Semitic language, Jacob actually means deceiver. And so Esau was saying, wow, Jacob sure is a proper name for my brother, the deceiver. So a couple of things to keep in mind here. First, Esau was calling Jacob a deceiver. But remember how Esau responded when he walked into Isaac's room. When Isaac asked who he was, Esau didn't respond by simply saying his name, I'm Esau. He said, I am Esau your firstborn. And so by adding the part about being the firstborn, Esau was actually still laying claim to the rights of the firstborn, including the blessing that was associated with that position. So now, who is the deceiver? Second point here is that Esau says Jacob, quote, took away his birthright. But remember, Jacob didn't take it away. Esau traded it for a bowl of stew. And claiming that Jacob has now cheated him two times is not really accurate since the birthright now actually belonged to Jacob. So Esau is still not willing to admit or recognize his own culpability in what has happened. Although the more he talks here, the more information he is giving Isaac since in his emotional state he admits that Jacob now actually possesses the birthright of the firstborn. In other words, in his emotional outburst here, he sort of blurts out his foolish sell of his birthright to Jacob, which Isaac is probably hearing for the first time. But we continue on with the last half of verse 36 through verse 40. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? And Isaac answers and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac his father answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. So knowing that the blessing was irreversible, all Esau could do at this point was ask Isaac for an additional blessing. But Isaac says that, look, he's already placed Jacob over him and he's blessed him, so what exactly could he do for Esau? And again, we hear the desperation in Esau's voice. Have you but one blessing for me, my father? And at that, Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Again, the hunter, this strong man, the man of the outdoors, is reduced to tears and anguish as he begins to reap the consequences of despising his birthright. But Isaac blesses Esau in the only way he can now. 
But notice that Esau will live in Edom, away from the fruitful land, the fat of the earth and the dew of the land. Edom was never very fruitful. And even though Edom will survive, it isn't from pastoral or agricultural endeavors. Isaac tells Esau that he will live by the sword. And so for the land of Edom and the Edomites, who were descendants of Esau, it will survive by raiding its neighbors and plundering caravans that pass through its land. The Edomites will actually fight against Israel for many years throughout history. Esau is going to have a hard life, but he will survive. Esau and his descendants will survive by hunting people, just as Esau has survived by hunting game. So finishing out this chapter, verses 41 through 46 read, Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob her younger son and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you've done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? And so it's no surprise to learn here that based on everything that's happened, Esau hated Jacob and he planned to kill him. Only out of respect for Isaac, he would wait until Isaac died. And so even at his moment of greatest anger and emotion, Esau still had enough respect for his father Isaac to not kill Jacob while Isaac was still alive, knowing how much it would hurt and the anguish that it would cause Isaac. But Rebekah learns of Esau's plan to kill Jacob. Somebody told her. Perhaps Esau could not conceal his anger and hatred and ended up talking and telling a few people and word got back to Rebekah. You know, in life, I think there's a truism that is worth remembering, and that is that everybody talks to somebody. And so word gets around faster than you might expect. So Rebecca sends for Jacob and tells him of Esau's plan to kill him. She tells him to leave, to flee to her brother Laban's house in Haran, where he would be safe until Esau's anger had subsided. And after Esau is no longer angry, after his fury has subsided, she will send for him to come back home. Now part of Rebekah's plan here seems sensible, to send Jacob away to his brother's house where he would be safe. However, part of her plan is also a little naive, I think. I mean, does she really think that Esau will so quickly forgive and forget? She tells Jacob to stay there for a while, which in the Hebrew actually says a number of days. And I wonder how long Rebecca expected Jacob would need to stay away. A few weeks? A few months? A year, maybe? Maybe this was a bit of wishful thinking on the part of a mother. But we will learn the, the harsh reality that Jacob will be gone, not for a few weeks or months, but for 20 years. In fact, Rebecca will never see Jacob again. And so in this way, she tastes the bitter consequences of her own deception. And when she tells Jacob to leave, she also says, Look, why should I be bereft of you both in one day? 
And that word bereft and to lose both of you in Hebrew means bereaved. And so what she means is, if Esau carries out his plan to kill Jacob, she'll lose Jacob, of course. But she will also lose Esau because murder called for capital punishment. So Esau would have been condemned to death or killed by the next of kin, an avenger of blood, resulting in Rebekah losing both of her sons. And finally, Rebekah realizes she needs to get Isaac's approval for Jacob to leave and go to Haran. So she tells him that she is disgusted with her life because of Esau's marriage to Hittite women. And so she parlays this into telling Isaac that they need to send Jacob to Haran to find a wife. In this way, she could hide from Isaac the real reason for sending him away, which is that Esau was planning to kill him. But also in Rebekah's words here, just tucked away sort of brilliantly, she's reminding Isaac of Esau's marriage to these pagan women and of his unworthiness to receive the Abrahamic blessing, perhaps in a way trying to make Isaac feel a little better about inadvertently blessing Jacob. And so as we end this chapter, consider that despite Isaac's plan to bless Esau, and even in spite of the fact that he may have known God had elected Jacob, he ironically blesses Jacob due to the deception of Rebekah and Jacob, thus bringing about what God had said was going to happen all along. It probably wasn't the way God would have chosen, of course, with the jealousy and the deception, the favoritism and the family tension, but as always, God is still able to accomplish his plan despite the presence of all these other factors. God knew what would happen. God knew Jacob would inherit the blessings and promises made to Abraham, and this in spite of Isaac's efforts to bless Esau. And if you think Jacob has gotten away with something here that God will not hold him accountable, we'll soon see that this is absolutely not the case. God will soon get Jacob's attention and turn his life around. And it really is sort of like a science fiction movie where the characters try to stop some foretold future but actually end up causing that very future to come about due to their involvement and their attempts to stop it. And meanwhile, God sits outside of time, seeing the end from the beginning, knowing what each of the characters would do, knowing how it would all end, just as he does for each of us. We don't always get what we want in life. I mean, the answer is sometimes no, or at least not right now. There are times in all of our lives when we experience hardships and disappointments that we certainly don't understand at the time. I mean, it may be months or even years before we start to even get a glimpse of a possible reason. And then for other situations, we may never get an answer to our questions. But in those times, we can choose to either dwell on it to try to live in the present while still being chained to the past, or we can choose to trust that God allowed those circumstances in our lives for a reason. We would do good to remember the words found in Isaiah 46, 9, and 10, which read, For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things not yet done. My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. God sees the end from the beginning, and God has a purpose for your life. And one of the greatest joys in life is to discover that purpose and then start living it.